Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the marketing show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Social Media Examiner. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast. This is episode 44, and I am Megan Powers, and my co-host here is Jen Cole. Hi, Jen. Hey, Megan. How's your day? Oh, you know, it's a day. (laughs) (laughs) We all have them. I want to pretend it's it's super rosy and super awesome. No issues at all. Mercury is not even close to being in retrograde. I'm not going to blame anything on that. I do see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is going to be a really fun broadcast. Dan Gingis is our guest, and I will introduce him in a second. I do want to mention at first that this show is sponsored by Powers of Marketing, Strategic Marketing Development and Execution for Small to Medium-Sized Businesses. Would love to help you out if you need it. As everyone's approaching their goals and new year plans, uh, we'd love to be a part of that. Okay, so before I give Dan's bio, I just want to quote something from an article that he had in Forbes recently. Customer experience and social media are part of a continuous cycle whereby they each feed each other. Offline experiences are shared online and then a brand's response and the learnings it takes from customer interactions are incorporated back into the experience. And that I think is at the heart of why our show today is customer experience is marketing and how they work together. Hello, Dan. How are you? I am well, ladies. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being on. I mean, you're the man. And we discussed before your pronunciation of your name, pronunciation of your name. I mean, I've heard it at Social Media Marketing World. So there's that, right? So I've seen you, but you may not have seen me kind of a (laughs) situation. Oh, I I know you by reputation alone. Oh, uh uh-oh. <laughs> all good things. Don't worry. All good things. All right. Cool. <laughs> pretty hear that. Let me mail a nervous there for a minute. Okay. So I'm going to read his brief bio. He is a chief experience officer at Winning Customer Experience LLC. He writes about how a remarkable customer experience can be your best marketing speaker and consultant living at the intersection of customer experience and marketing. And I do like to say up front how you can find people. You want to book him to speak, which you do. 1508 Book Dan. That's awesome. I mean, easy. Yeah. You like that? The marketer and me managed to uh, figure that one out all by myself. (laughs) Well, and the podcast host and me come to realize that not everyone gets to the end. So I'm trying to make a concerted effort to share my guest's information up front just in case someone doesn't have Thank you. All the way. I'll try to keep him here, though. We're going to have a fun conversation. Yes, we are. So he's a keynote speaker and consultant who believes that a remarkable customer experience is your best marketing. I think I said that. He teaches audiences and businesses how to make the brand lovers louder than the haters by creating experiences they can't wait to share with their friends and followers. Well, this is such an interesting I think, conversation to have, especially for anyone who has had any customer experiences that might not have been stellar as of late, or if you're one of those people like Jen and myself who get to answer comments and questions from customers. So I wanted to kick it off with a quote from your friend. And of course, now I'm probably going to butcher his name, Shep Hyken. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that how you say his yes, name? Yes, Shep. 
Customer service yeah. is the new marketing is, was a quote from him. I have seen you both speak at social media marketing world. So I wanted to start off by um, having you share what the difference is or what you see is the difference between, or is there, between customer experience and customer service. Sure. So customer experience is probably most easily defined as the way a customer feels at every single interaction with a brand. And the two key pieces there are the feeling part, because we know that perception is reality. So how the customer feels is their reality. And then every single interaction is the other key part, because you can have many different interactions with the same company. You can have digital interactions on their website or on their social media page. You can have in-person interactions if you're a retail store or a restaurant or an airline. You can have telephone interactions, email interactions, chat interactions, or, or even direct mail or packaging if you're receiving an item in the mail, right? So everything is part of experience. One of the things that is part of experience, a big part, is customer service. So if you think about customer service, generally, we use customer service because something has gone wrong. So some other part of the experience has messed up, and now we need to deal with customer service in whatever channel we want to do that. And so I look at customer service as a very critical subset of customer experience. And the quote that you said before, or maybe it was part of my bio, about it being sort of circular is that brands have a huge opportunity in any customer service engagement to really make or break the future relationship. And we all have experiences where we've called customer service and it's like customer service makes it worse, right? They're not willing to help out or I'm on hold for two hours or they're rude or whatever it is. And we've also hopefully had experiences where customer service is so good and they fix our problem that we leave feeling better about the brand than we did before we had the problem in the first place. Yes, all of that. Okay, so I will confess that the reason this is sitting a little too close to home because I was on a customer service chat with the owner of a WordPress template that I'm attempting to use. And I learned early on that, you know, it's that whole you get more bees with honey than, than vinegar. So even if he's being cross with me, I need to be really nice back and to try to get to the solution that I need. And today I was being super sweet and he still was like, well, you've already said this and like, and this is in chat. He also refuses to speak on the phone and it's just, he's like a solo, like one man show and he's on East coast time. So he's also like done when I, at three o'clock in my day, when I'm kind of just getting going. So it was a lot of back and forth. And I kept saying, please be patient with me and really trying to do a good job of explaining what my issue was. Anyway, all this to say that I 100% only am dealing with him because I need help with his poor product. And he has owned the fact that it's more difficult than some of their other templates and that he bought the company. So he didn't even like, this is something he's kind of dealing with someone else's mess, which he's also kind of said. Anyway, all that to say that in terms of marketing, like he's doing a terrible job. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not going to ever recommend this company or these templates because of this whole series of, but I'm still trying to be nice. And, and basically I was like, okay, I have to go because I've just set my mind right because I have a podcast to record. Right. You know, and you know, we see this happen a lot. I mean, one that I've specifically experienced is tweeting an airline and receiving back a very capped response when I'm very, very emotional and they send back a cap, obviously capped, a capped response. And then my tweet back to them was, I'm sorry, I'm emotional. And you're sending me back a capped response. <laughs> like, What kind of customer service is that? 
like it's so important we don't go to social for it you know it's really interesting and so back where now i'm remembering the quote that you uh said about me earlier megan and you know i'm a believer that the whole reason we're talking about customer experience in 2019 is because of social media and as a marketer for more than 20 years, I got my start in direct mail and like magazine and newspaper direct response, right? So as undigital as you can be. But when social came on to into the game, it was the first marketing channel where customers could actually talk back and have a voice, a legitimate public voice, right? I, I like to joke, you can't talk back to a billboard or to a Super Bowl ad. Or you can, but no one's listening, right? And now all of a sudden, you do it in social media and people are listening. And so that originally, at the very beginning, I think, took brands by surprise. And it was like, oh my, especially marketers who aren't used to having to talk with customers. That was always customer services problem. But in the end, when customers got a collective voice, they used that voice to demand better experiences. So that has, in my belief, you know, over the last, say, eight to 10 years, has really brought customer experience to the forefront. And it's now what I believe is the ultimate differentiator. Because if you think about most industries, competing on price is a loser's game. Just ask the gas station that's got another gas station across the street, right? They can keep bringing down gas a penny per gallon until they're giving it away for free. And competing on product is really hard because after all, those gas stations are selling the same thing. So what's left is to compete on experience. And the good news is that experiences tend to be created by humans for humans, and your company has a unique set of humans that no one else has. So you can create an experience that is unique compared to any of your competitors and ultimately can be the differentiator. When I envision the planning for customer experience, I envision it as very much like creating you know, just an overall marketing strategy. So my question to you is, what does the customer experience planning stage typically look like? And what do you find is the most challenging part of the journey for clients to execute? Well, in most companies, you're planning what I would call sub-journeys, a piece of the journey. It's very difficult, especially in large companies, to take that 30,000-foot view. And this is, by the way, why I can make a living as a speaker and consultant is because companies need help taking a 30,000-foot view and really looking from start to finish at that customer journey. And it starts, by the way, well before they ever become a customer. It starts when they're in the research phase. It starts when they're seeing your marketing or, or your advertising on television. That's the beginning of the experience. And it goes all the way through them considering your product, buying your product, using your product, hopefully recommending it to somebody else, maybe leaving if your product either disappoints them or if your product has a certain shelf life, then you're done with it. And maybe coming back and doing the whole cycle again. And it's very difficult to look at all of that at once, but it's really important because when you look at many journeys, when you look at many experiences, you can fix a mini experience and make it great. But if it doesn't connect well to the experience that they were coming from or the experience that they're going to, then it appears very choppy to a customer. So I'll give you an example. Just last night, I went to an app where you can buy gift cards and usually at a discounted price. And I was booking a trip and I actually bought a fairly expensive gift card for a travel provider. And I saw on my phone, because I get a notification every time that there's a charge, that the charge went through. I get no confirmation from the app. It doesn't show up as a gift card on my, you know, in the app. There's no email 
absolutely nothing. Now, I know from having used this app before, because I bought a bit of a higher amount, that it's going through some confirmation to make sure it's not fraudulent. But they're not telling me that. So here I am, a customer. I've just seen this money be taken from my credit card, and I don't have anything to show for it. And I'm nervous, right, that something just went wrong. And all that had to happen was them to send a confirmation email that says, we got your order because it's over a certain amount. We need to validate it. You'll hear from us in the next hour, whatever it is, right? It's not hard, but that's the way to take an experience which makes me think, gosh, I'm not sure I ever want to use these guys again, to an experience which is perfectly understandable because after all, they're trying to make sure that I'm not a victim of fraud. So I'm okay giving them some time to do that. But if they don't communicate with me, I don't even know that that's what's going on. I don't know if that answers your question, but basically, because customer experience is all these little experiences together, you have to be good at each of the little experiences, but you also have to understand how they connect. Because you know what? Buying that gift card was super easy. The user experience was awesome. It was like two clicks and boom, I bought it. But then I go to the next piece of the experience and it's broken. And so now the whole thing has fallen apart. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So kind of along those lines, I'm curious, as someone who works with clients, I have an agency for restaurants and some different technology companies that I work with, do the marketing and and whatnot. And there's a restaurant group that I work with where we call it reputation management, right? Which is kind of ties into all of this, I think, in terms of responding to reviews and making sure that we're handling that I'm on the front end. And I am curious, and I I think I might not be alone in this. It can be sensitive in talking with the end client about complaints towards them. And I walked a line between trying to help them help themselves, but with helping me to respond or, or even just, you know, if there's a series of, if there's X number of really one star reviews within a short period of time, then that's a flag I think that should go up. But I, that there's some sensitivity on management, on the management end, on the client end. Do you have any suggestions or tips or strategies for how to kind of handle that approach? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it starts with not being afraid of complaints. And I'm a believer that any feedback is valuable. Feedback is a gift. And if, as long as you're willing to take it, right? So when I get off stage and people tell me that mine was their favorite session of the whole event, that's great to hear. But when somebody comes and tells me that they loved six of my examples, but the seventh one didn't make sense to them, that's even better to hear. Because now I know that that's something I can improve on. I can take action on that. And likewise, when people complain to companies, they complain because they care. They actually want a resolution. They want to keep doing business with you, but you're preventing them from doing so, right? Take my gift card example, right? If I were to complain, it's like, hey, look, I'm trying to buy a gift card from you and you won't let you know, so help me out here. So they want a resolution. If they didn't care, they would just move on to your competitor. And in fact, a lot of research shows that most complaints never even get made because you annoy a customer, the customer says, forget you, I'm off and I'm going to go to your competitor instead. And you never even hear the complaint. So you never know what you did wrong and you never know why you lost the customer. And so not being afraid of complaints is the first step for sure. Now, when you start to talk about things like online reviews, There are some problems there around authenticity of reviews. Sometimes you've got competitors that are leaving bad reviews just to ruin the numbers and all that sort of stuff. So you do have to understand that. Now, a whole series of negative reviews in a row 
would be concerning. And generally, that's a problem that is not going to fix itself, right? Uh, Because if one person had a problem, or even if five people and they chose to go talk about it on Yelp, that probably means that 50 or 100 people had the problem and didn't go choose to complain about it. So I think in that sense, it's one of those things that you have to take it seriously. And I always go on this assumption and call me an optimist, but I always go on this assumption that companies want to provide a great experience. They're not always good about executing on it. But if you think about a restaurant, they want to serve good food. They want to have good service. They want to have a nice environment. And they're trying to do that. And so if somebody is saying, hey, something that you're doing is preventing me from enjoying my meal at your restaurant, I would think that's something they really want to hear because especially if they know how to fix it, right? Now, if it's, you know, I don't like your restaurant because I don't like chicken and the name of your company is Chick-fil-A, okay, well, then there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do about that, right? But if it is, hey, my food arrived cold, or you know, the mac and cheese was cold or whatever it is, and you start to hear that complaint over and over again, you can realize maybe there's a process problem in how we make our macaroni and cheese that's always showing up cold. And we fix that and the complaints go away. Right. Yeah. So that's- you're not afraid of the complaints. I understand no, that. It, and, yeah. And, but it sounds like your clients are. Yeah. And, and it and and they're sensitive to anybody that wants to say something negative. But again, you know, I would try to explain to them that they should be happy somebody's telling them this because it's kind of like when somebody says, you know, you have something on your mouth. Can you can you wipe that off? Like. Yeah, it's embarrassing, but you're really happy they told you, right? It's better than finding out three hours later when you go home and look (laughs) in the mirror that it's been sitting there all night. And to me, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, gosh, I'm I'm so glad you told me that the macaroni and cheese was cold because I wouldn't have known. And now I know that I can go fix it. My dad tells a story about when he owned a company, there was a plant that did dry cleaning. It was a clothing company. And so he'd go to this plant and he would learn what was wrong, not by talking to the manager of the plant but by talking to the lowest level employee who was standing at this hot dry cleaning machine all day long and who, when he got to meet the president of the company said, oh, by the way, the air conditioner has been broken for six months. And my dad's like, what what do you mean it's been broken for six months? Nobody told me I would have gotten it fixed. Right. But the the boss was afraid to tell the president that that the air conditioning was broken. And my dad was so happy that somebody told him so he could fix it. Because you can't fix what you don't know of. You know, your job then is, which is not easy, is having to change their approach to like, look, a complaint's not a bad thing. What's bad is either ignoring it or not fixing the problem. Yeah, I'm worth my weight in gold to them for the fact that I'm the one responding. And I think it's good because I'm removed from the situation, right? Like I'm not emotionally connected to whatever may have or have not happened. But yeah, but I think there's a disconnect between what they see as my place and sharing this information with them, you know, because they see it as an operational thing, not a marketing thing. So there's that, those conversations. I think this is, and obviously this is a macro example, right? But I mean, I think for, in terms of my, you know, or some micro example, but in terms of like a lot the larger scale, people should understand that they're connected and that companies should understand that they're connected and that it's not just an operations thing. It's all intertwined. Yeah, I I was just going to say, I think a lot of the times as, you know, in the roles that we're in, Megan, with community management and reputation management and stuff, I also feel like in that role, a big part of that is we we just have to keep educating them. And sometimes we have to educate them until we're blue in the face. But (laughs) a lot of it is just education for our clients, even though they get frustrated with it, too. But we just have to drill it into their, their heads a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, and this is why I'm 
in my business, spending the time trying to teach people how to create more positive experiences. And the, the quote that you said before about making the, the lovers louder than the haters, it actually comes from when I worked at McDonald's. That was sort of our mantra there in the social media team. And what I love about that mantra is, number one, it acknowledges that in a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, you're going to have haters. They're going to be there. And by the way, complainers, I don't think are, are haters. Complainers are people that have a legitimate problem. Haters are people that just are trying to you know, ruin your reputation or give you one-star reviews for, for sport. But when you create positive experiences, the research shows that people are actually much more willing to share a positive experience with friends and social media followers than they are a negative experience. But the problem is, and you guys started here, both with your own examples, is when I ask audiences, do they remember the last time they had a negative experience with a brand? Every hand goes up. When I ask them, do they remember the last time they had a remarkable experience that they couldn't wait to tell their friends about? like four hands go up, right? Yeah. So we don't, as consumers, we don't have enough of these experiences where we want to say, I can't wait to tell my friends about it. But when they happen, that's the first thing we do. I can't believe how great it was. I went into Starbucks and they gave me a free coffee today just because, oh, I made my, you know, made my day, right? We'll tell everybody that. And so that is marketing. In fact, that is the holy grail of marketing. It's right. word of mouth marketing, which we're all chasing and we're all trying to figure out how to do and I'm here to tell you, it is not in creating a viral video. It's in creating an experience that your customers want to talk about. And they are doing now the marketing for you. And you can sit back because they're much more credible marketers. You know, and just like you're more credible, Megan, by not being an employee who's, who's emotionally connected to the experience, you're much more credible as a person to respond. But the most credible is a happy customer. Yeah, for sure. This is a really important thing. It kind of ties together to how important do you feel that it is for brands to have a social media policy in place that addresses customer service situations? And how do you coach brands to understand that they need one? So absolutely, a policy around customer service is really important. It should address uh, both operational aspects as well as branding aspects. So by operational, I mean, what are going to be our hours of operation on social media? I often get asked, should we be, should I, do I have to be 24 seven? And my answer is if you're an international airline with people flying all over the world, 24 seven, yes, you do. If you're a local restaurant that closes at 10 PM local time, no, you don't. What you do have to do in every instance though, is set customer expectations. So if you are, you know, manning the Twitter account from 10 to 10, that should be in your Twitter profile so that people understand that and then they expect it. And most people understand that and they're not upset that the local restaurant isn't answering them at three in the morning, right? But if I'm standing in London Heathrow at three o'clock in the morning, you know, having missed my flight, I expect that airline to be answering me. So that's the operational thing. And then the branding things are really about brand voice and about what can and can't be shared. And also in particular, because you guys have both mentioned reputation management, it's often around the particular PR type things that could happen and what to do in those circumstances. And I've led now social media teams at three Fortune 300 companies, and I've seen everything from, you know, having to know when to call HR because somebody has just filed a public complaint against a, an employee to having to know when to call the police because somebody has just announced on Facebook that they're going to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready for all of that, right? And you have to have a plan in place for when do I call the police? When do I call HR? When do I call public relations because something's about to blow up? 
When do I call management? Because there's a serious problem, like a big financial problem, or maybe some non-public information got made public or something, right? And having those sort of buckets so that people can remain calm in an emergency and know exactly what they have to do. It's just like having a a plan, an escape plan in your house, right? For a fire. It's just knowing what to do so that when, if and when it happens, you, you know, you know the steps. I think that that is critical for really any kind of company because you can't predict what you're going to see on social. And I'll tell you without sharing specific examples, because they'd probably be mad at me. McDonald's, I saw some stuff that I never thought that I would see with pictures of what people do with food and, you know, all sorts of things. And it is, it's remarkable and you can't predict everything specifically, but you can have a category about what to do with strange pictures of what people do with food, you know, and then have that as a as a category and then understanding what, what we do in that case. Yeah. And the legal stuff is having that written, having anything potentially agreed upon by your legal team in advance is important to write in it because otherwise then you, you could be caught without responding and then that it can look even worse. Did you see that Pizza Express thing over the weekend? So <laughs> the Pizza Express social Twitter person posted a picture of a, of their monitor and you could see the Pizza Express logo on the TV and it was a glass of a bottle of wine and a glass of wine and it says me logs off of Twitter at 9 p.m. and have a glass of wine and it says also me t- at 10 o'clock 150 WhatsApp internal messages to check Twitter immediately because <laughs> Prince Andrew had mentioned that his alibi was that he was at a, a Pizza Express in Woking, England at the time that something supposedly <laughs> happened. You so, just never know. <laughs> oh man. So the memes and the every, I mean, that Twitter went wild with it. Really, really funny, funny, some funny stuff. But you know what? Even in that situation, I've definitely seen brands laugh along with the masses right? Yeah. There's a wonderful example that I love to share in my keynotes from a company called ASOS, which is also a, a, a British brand. It's a clothing brand. And they printed like 10,000 plastic bags, clear plastic bags that hold some product. And there was a spelling error on the plastic bag. And rather than throwing them away or pretending they didn't see the, the spelling error, they highlighted the spelling error in a Twitter post and said, something like, oops, guess we'll call these a limited edition. And they got tons of followers, I mean, of uh, retweets and likes and stuff, because people appreciated that they were able to poke fun at themselves, right? And so if I'm that Pizza Express person, I actually go along with the joke, because ultimately, that's great publicity for them. And especially if they can show some brand, you know, character in in a situation that some PR people would be you know, oh, OMG, I don't know what to do. But oftentimes playing along is a great answer. Yeah. yeah. Somebody I was following had responded and said, well played. And I was like, what is this? And then I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Way too yep. long. Okay. So we're about midway and we like to do a little brain break in the middle of our show. And it usually has to do with a holiday of the month or whatever is going on. So our brain break on this show is what are you most thankful for at this very moment? I'm going to let Jen go first because she already saw the question. She had time to think about it. (laughs) So, you know, I I think at this very moment, I am just very thankful for, you know, my job, like my new job at Social Media Examiner. 
I'm very thankful for my boys because I love those boys. And I'm just, I'm so excited to be able to get together with my family next week. And and of course, my boyfriend and my brother and his girlfriend and just have a big old fun Thanksgiving next weekend. So I'm I'm just really thankful for that. Awesome. Yeah. About you, Dan? Well, first of all, I'm thankful for Jen Cole at Social Media Examiner because (laughs) I love Social Media Examiner and Social Media Marketing World. So it's always fun working with you, Jen. But yeah. I Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And I was born on Christmas, by the way. So that's, wow. that's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And uh, I, too, am thankful for being able to spend time with my family and thankful for the fact that we're all healthy and enjoying each other's company. And I love watching my I have loved watching my parents embrace the role of grandparents. Uh, to the extent where I now feel like being a grandparent has got to be the best gig on earth. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and so anyway, it makes me very happy. Awesome. How about you, Megan? So I'm going to say I'm thankful for my health and I'm thankful that my, I have a good friend whose husband has been really, really sick. He's been through a lot of things, heart valve issues, and it's been a really, really long road. And he had to make a really tough decision about his health and the future of himself. And he, he made that decision and, and now he's on his way back to recovering. It's going to be a long road, but it just kind of makes, whenever I hear, whenever I, or I see people go through stuff like that, it makes me really appreciate the fact that I have my health. And obviously <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a touchy one. I didn't expect to get <laughs> emotional, but anyway, so yeah. And it's my favorite holiday too. Yeah. it's a great holiday. All right. Jen's got the first question of this second half. Oh, here we go. Okay, Dan, I love your niche. And it's, it's just so important to brands, even if brands don't understand it. What inspired you to make customer experience and customer service your expertise? Well, as I mentioned, I spent most of my career as a marketer. And I got moved while I was at Discover Card to a role which oversaw digital customer experience. And what was amazing about being moved to that role is I had no experience in customer experience and nor had I held a digital only role before. And one of the teams I was overseeing was a social media team and I had no social media experience. So that day when I got assigned that role, I signed up for Twitter. So if you go back and look at Dan's Twitter start date, it's the day that he got told he was in charge of the social media team. (laughs) And for me as a marketer, I never really saw, and I know your uh, your boss would probably throw things at me, Jen. It's like, no, people don't want to see your TV commercial on Facebook any more than they wanted to see it on TV. Right. And even today, I find, in, and I've worked in a lot of different industries, I have not worked at a company that feels that social is a critical marketing channel for actually selling product. Now, for brand building, of people that started off as detractors and then because we responded to them became brand advocates. And again, that's how we turn service into marketing. And I think that just snowballed and and got me um, absolutely hooked on that element. And the larger part about customer experience, I think evolved from that same thing, which is that as customers had a voice, they started saying, hey, look, what we really want is a better experience. And when you provide that experience, the voice changes to, I really love this brand. Yeah, that is, it's so cool. It's really, really cool to see that happen. I mean, it's fun, like the day in and the day out doing the customer service and customer experience stuff, you know, on the Twitter side or the Facebook side. But but those few times where you really, really make somebody's day, it's memorable for everybody, the brand and for the person. Pretty amazing. It is. Think about just 
10 years ago, if you wanted to get in touch with a brand, first of all, I do think that operationally they do different things, but I think they have to be completely hand in hand with each other. And because it works in both directions, if marketing's off doing stuff that customer service doesn't know about, then when people call, the reps, the agents are not intelligent. They're not able to answer questions, right? right Which is right. exactly what the customer is looking for. Maybe the agent doesn't even know that we have a new special out, you know, that we just posted for Facebook people only because, well, we never, we forgot to share it with them. <laughs> yeah. but, but on the flip side, if customer service doesn't share back with marketing what they're hearing, then marketing can't get better at either improving the product or service if that's part of their job or sometimes improving their marketing. I mean, I've had an experience once before where we put on a new television commercial that people had some problems with that we didn't anticipate, that we never saw in the focus groups, that we never saw in any of the test markets. And then when it went national, we had some people that had some fairly serious complaints about the television commercial. Well, obviously then as a service side, we got to bring that back to marketing to get that fixed. So I don't think they have to be the same department, but they absolutely have to be in, you know, constant contact with each other and really working hand in hand. Yeah, I agree. We see that a lot. We really work at Social Media Examiner to constantly like have cross communications because yeah, I see everything on my side. So I have a strong connection with customer service. I have a strong connection with sales and a strong connection to events just because I'm like eyes and ears at all times. And and like you said, it's just very important for communication. It's it's a communication thing. Okay. So many times we get poor customer service because the person, we've kind of talked about this a little bit already, but because the person helping us isn't armed with a proper way to help us. And I've kind of learned now, if I don't get the answer I wanted the first time, I I just keep trying because eventually I'll find someone who's either trained to give me the right answer or armed with the ability to do what I'm asking or is just having a better day potentially than the first person that I talked to. So how do you suggest that we as consumers approach getting the result we want from a a call or an email or or a chat exchange on this front? Great question. And I think you pointed to the main idea earlier when you said that it's better to, you know, work with honey than with vinegar. If you can be polite and respectful, and if you're asking for something that's reasonable, I think that's your best chance. If your flight was delayed by 30 minutes and you're asking them to give you a free flight because of that, that's not a very reasonable request, right? And so, or if you're, you know, certainly there's never a place for swearing at people or or worse. And I've seen lots of, you know, uh, very offensive posts and all that. And there's just simply no place for that. So I think uh, kindness tends to win. I also would go to a channel where you personally are going to be least frustrated. And that may be generational. There's still people that very much prefer phone as as the channel of choice. We've certainly seen in social media that social started as the channel of last resort. It started when, okay, you, you made three of those phone calls, Megan, you still didn't get the answer you like, or worse, you were put on hold for a long time. So now you're really mad and you go to social because you say, okay, I'm going to show them and I'm going to post this in public. But what happened was that a lot of people started to see that asking a question or, or making a complaint on social got them a faster and better answer. And that it actually was the easiest and fastest and most painless customer service channel. So they started using it as a channel of first resort. That's what I did. I don't call anybody anymore. I go straight to social. But I've actually gone one step further, which is also a growing trend, is I don't go to public social. I go to direct message. 
and you know, so Facebook Messenger or Twitter DM. And we're seeing a lot of volume moving from public social to private social in that way. And I think that it, it is following a general trend that texting and messaging is just becoming the way that we communicate. And so if we do that personally, it makes sense that we are comfortable doing that with a, with a company. But when we take these things offline or, or off of the, out of the public eye, it's actually better for both the company and for the customer. It's better for the company because obviously they're happy that you're not complaining in public and they appreciate that. And that's going to put them in a better mood to respond to you from the beginning. Secondly, it works really well for the customer because I can send a DM and go about my day and not worry when I'm going to get an answer. And just I'll check it the next time I come back to Twitter. So I'm not sitting on hold. I'm not watching the you know agent is typing during a chat, you know, sitting there over and over for a long time. I'm not waiting 24 to 48 hours for an email. And the history of my entire conversation with them is there. So when I go to my airline and I send a DM, they don't have to say, well, let me confirm your frequent flyer number and all these because I've already done that. It's, I'm already verified with them and I will be every time that I come. So I think that's what I would say is, you know, find the channel that works for you that's easiest and least frustrating so that you don't get frustrated. And then remember to maintain your composure and be polite and, and just know that there's a human on the other end and her name might be Megan that's answering your questions or Jen. And, you know, that person is not, doesn't want to get yelled at or sworn at or, or whatever. And I think that if you remember it's a person, you tend to get much better support. I've gotten a lot. I've gotten more than I've asked for by going to DM and asking politely for something. I get great answers that way. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I, that's all great advice. I have a confession. I have a, I have a DM sitting in the inbox of one of my clients that I just don't know how to respond to because he was a customer. I'd been there several times. He made a complaint and I can't remember whether his initial was public or private, but then we ended up, you know, in, in private message. And then he DM me and he's like, okay, I gave him one more try and fail again. He's not asking for anything. And I'm kind of at a loss for how to respond to him because he's right. I can just say sorry again, but that feels like it's not enough. I would say something like I'd show some empathy and say, you know, oh no, what happened this time or what, you know, what happened to make you say that? Because again, even if he's never coming back, I'd rather him never come back, but give you some feedback that you can give back to the client for them to improve the experience. And I think you showing some empathy by just, you know, being, look, it's disappointing. Sometimes brands disappoint us. And whether it is the customer that's disappointed or you as a representative of the company, even though you don't work for them, it's okay to be disappointed in that. But I still think you can grab some value from it by figuring out you know, what is it? Did he have the same problem or did he go back and have a different problem? You know, that's important to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did say what it was. So yeah, I'll just oh, good. tell him I'll understand. I understand if he won't come back and I'm sorry to lose him as a customer or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's totally legit. Cool. So Dan, you host two podcasts, which is amazing. I can't imagine how much work and how much fun that is. So you have experienced this and you have a focus on customer service, what can listeners expect to gain from these podcasts that they may not be privy to otherwise? So uh, focus on customer service is no longer in production, but I did um, make the one episodes, I think, of that. 
Wow. And on that podcast, we did interviews with brands that were particularly good at social customer service. Oh, so we awesome. identified the companies, yeah, that are just doing it really well. And so did you even run though out? We're not, <laughs> There's only 55. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny question. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but they are, they're all great examples. And I think they all stand the test of time of kind of the brands that you want to follow. And if you're trying to build that. Experience this is we just finished recording season four and we'll be recording uh, season five coming up and, and season five will begin in February. So season four goes through December and then we take a month off and come back in February. And that is a really fun podcast. We talk about all things customer experience. It is intentionally designed to be a different listening experience from other podcasts because we figured if we were talking about experience, we needed to make sure we were creating an experience while we were doing it. So there's three short segments, eight to 10 minutes in each episode where we tell a customer experience story and find some takeaway about that story. And each segment, if you think about, I like to equate it to the price is right. You know how on the price is right, they have like 20 different games they can play, but every episode you only see six games. Well, we have 10 or 12 different segments, but we only use three in every episode. So you never know quite what you're going to get and what order you're going to get it. And the stories are either from our own lives or what's going on in the world or listeners send us their own customer experience stories, you know, like you guys did at the beginning of this interview. Everybody's got their own story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's just a lot of fun. And this is one that I think we can do for a very long time because, you know, there's, there are endless amounts of customer experience stories. But importantly, we really try to keep it positive. So we will highlight a brand if they're doing something really well. We will not bash on a brand if they screwed it up. We'll, we'll keep it anonymous, but we'll try to pull a learning from it to say, you know, here's what we would have done differently, or here's how you can avoid this going forward. And we really try to focus on on keeping it all positive. That's amazing. That nice. sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And uh, my podcast partner, Joey Coleman, and I have a blast and just, you know, we could talk forever. Sometimes we have to, uh, we have to cut ourselves off, but it's a fun topic. Yeah. Speaking of that, <laughs> we're getting close to time. That's a good segue to, instead of asking you what the app or gadget you're hot on these days, I'll ask you a question. I, I hope you, you can answer because I noticed in your, I think it was in your Forbes article, you mentioned word clouds. Is there a particular word cloud software that you can recommend? And we just briefly tell the listeners what a what a word cloud is and how a company can use it. Well, actually, you're referring to an article where I was writing about emoji clouds, which oh. is an exp- an extension of word clouds. And just briefly, what was really interesting about that is that as we were talking before about messaging, you know, becoming the primary way mode of communication. When we message with people, we use emojis. And so now brands are the recipients of emojis and also sometimes the users of emojis. And this company called Spark Central did an analysis of how people are using emojis and what they actually mean. Because as you may know, an emoji in America and an emoji, say, in Asia, the same emoji may have very different meanings. Best example is the one that we all think of as thank you, that some people think it's a high five and some people think it's, it's praying hands which are very different things. So this was an analysis of how emojis have crept into social media customer service, which I think is absolutely fascinating. I don't have a recommendation for you on a particular word cloud software. I'm sorry. That's okay. No worries. I threw that at you, you know, unexpectedly. So yeah, and I'm 
That's so funny that I misremember that. Okay, so, but that's really interesting. Thanks for reading my Forbes articles. Bro. I appreciate it. <laughs> it'll, it'll be in the show notes for those of you um, listening. I'll, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. So this is a fascinating topic to me. And I think that if companies aren't already considering how customer experience and marketing and everything within their company is all related, hopefully they are starting to, or they will now, they'll listen to this podcast and then they'll um, hire Dan to speak at their next conference. I knew I liked you, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, now. All right. So hopefully I'll see you in uh, end of February, beginning of March here in San Diego. Right? That world? I can't wait. It'll be my seventh year, and it is the conference I look forward to the most because I get to escape Chicago winter and <laughs> come to always beautiful San Diego. Yes, almost always beautiful. We had a lot of rain, and it got down to like 50 degrees yesterday. So, you, you poor thing. <laughs> I know. So sad. <laughs> uh, hashtag SD rain. It's a real thing. So, all right. Thanks so much, Dan, for joining us on episode 44. Yeah, thank you both. I really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to seeing you both in the new year. Perfect. And thanks, Jen Cole, as always. Awesome co-host. Yeah, and thank you, Megan. You're always an amazing host. Oh, thank you. All right, so this has been episode 44 of Making a Marketer and we will catch you next week.